This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I welcome Haley onto the show to discuss the April Fool's HLP spectacular, Pablo Impales. We break down the prep and encounters, have a My Favorite Monster segment on Boss Creature, the Bodak, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, 15.3 miles from the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the zone of truth. And we're back. Yeah, we're back. I mean, not really, but but yeah. Second zone of truth, recording remotely. I think it's working. Second zot of the quarantine, baby. Oh, boy. You're in the studio. I'm sitting on the floor of my apartment. The professional setup. I mean, I feel like you're most at home on the floor of your apartment. (laughs) A video called you several times during this quarantine and that you have a couch right behind you and you choose to sit on the floor every single time. Well, I think it's setting a pretty low bar because my futon is so shitty that I'd rather sit on the floor. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I should probably get a new one, but yeah. I mean, now's the time. It's like, is it though? Furniture stores are super open. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I could probably just order something, but I'll solve my my life problems off air. Um, but to help cope with me solving my life's problems, um, I drink. Um, and yeah, me too. Me I was too. wondering if you're drinking, Griffin. I am drinking. What are you drinking? I I have um, I have a drink suggested by Jason on the Discord. Uh, don't remember what it's called, but I know what's in it. It's one part bourbon whiskey. One part black coffee, a splash of, for me, uh, spicy maple syrup. Maple syrup works fine. Uh, A dash of vanilla extract and a dash of cinnamon. Ooh. And it tastes bomb.com. I will drink this all day, every day, especially with the cold brew that Haley makes. It's fucking phenomenal. I mean, I'm, I'm not even much of a whiskey or bourbon guy, but that just sounds great. Yeah, it's like warming me up on the inside. The cinnamon works really well with that um, spicy maple syrup. Mm-hmm. Gives it a nice kind of kick to it. But uh, what are you drinking? Well, yeah, I was just about to say, um, if you can fill up a thermos of that and mail it to me, I could try it in a couple days. That'd be cool. Um, well, you have to disinfect it first. I guess that's a good point. Because uh, you know, I'll I mean, be it's, 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 the it's, top, it sounds good enough to risk. But as for me, I am drinking a glass of gin. This is Roku Gin. <laughs> Just a glass of it. Yeah, it's a it's a great glass. Check this out. Oh, Star Wars glass. Yep, buddy. Oh yeah, it's my super cool kids uh, cup. I mean, it's like five ounces. It's a very small cup, but it has Kylo Ren and some stormtroopers on there, some Tie Fighters. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, Kylo would be proud. You drink a gin from his cup, baby. That's that's one of my life goals. <laughs> to, to have a cup made of you that gets gin drank out of it. Yep, absolutely. Um, uh, HLP merch tier. Yeah, that's the next. God, I don't want to meet the people that would buy that. Uh, anyway, there is somebody I do want to meet on the show today. 
You know her. You love her. She's played a whole bunch of characters on the show and recently became the second GM on our feed to actually GM online. Welcome, Haley. Thanks, Steve. It's great to have you. What are you drinking? I am drinking a Wild Ohio uh, mango tea beer. Ooh. Is Wild Ohio the brand? Yeah. Oh, I've never heard of that. Yeah, so they make a bunch of different tea beers. Um, they make one that is really, really good. It's the like a, a barrel aged blueberry, I think, and that's like I don't know, twelve or thirteen percent. So that one's a little high. This one's only eight percent, but it's good. Hey, only eight percent is still respectable for a beer. That's not bad. Absolutely, it's so good too. Glad to hear it. Well, we're all here. We're all drinking. Let's get to the heart of the matter here. Um, let's get into the agenda and get cracking. Well, before we get there, Steve. Oh, I thought I was going to get you. I have I have thought something that I need to do. I was going to get you. that ya. is, yeah, you can't get me. I'm too, <laughs> I'm too sly. I'm going to start up the Sirenscape. Uh, and this time from the Elven Vale Night, we have Peaceful Evening. Because mm. we're all having a peaceful evening right now. That's right. We'll see how peaceful it gets after I finish this class of Jen. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple sidearms too. I'm ready to party. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, folks. Well, you guys all at home have heard the updates from the HLP that we are all quarantining. We are trying to be safe, trying to be responsible. Um, obviously, that's why I'm recording remotely tonight. Um, but along with recording remotely, um, you know, there's there's some challenges that go into that. And, uh, you know, distancing yourself from other people is tough. So... Last week, we talked a little bit, or last episode, rather, we talked a little bit about what Griffin and I have been doing to kind of stave off cabin fever and keep sane in these crazy times by just talking about, you know, some of the the books, the the shows, the movies that we've been watching while, uh, you know, working and living from home and not really going out. So, kind of wanted to give another little update here, maybe uh, suggest some things to our listeners that we think you might appreciate. And uh, I want to start off with Haley. Haley, what have you been doing in the last four plus weeks of of being stuck at home? Besides TikTok, Haley. (laughs) (laughs) So, I've been on uh, work from home. uh, So, I've actually been home the almost entire time besides a like grocery trip. Uh, so I've been spending a lot of time on work, especially because I was put on the like social distancing task force or whatever. So I've spent nothing but time doing that kind of stuff. Outside of that, um, life kind of has gone on as per normal, besides the fact that we don't have so many people at our house all the time. So instead of it being all of you guys showing up at our house and we uh, drink and watch movies and stuff. Now it's Griffin and I who drink and watch movies and stuff. Specifically, I got Disney Plus last weekend. So then, Griffin and I have Stage started... Stage own! Oh, it's, it is a blast. So we watched Frozen 2, specifically. Um, you guys were and- all excited about Disney Plus last weekend. You guys were blowing up my text messages about it. <laughs> we were well, drunk. number one... <laughs> Onward. Onward is an amazing movie and I highly recommend anyone to watch it because it is 
like it's a D&D movie. It's great. It's fantastic. Um, it's a D&D kids movie. And then so that's a great movie. We weren't dr- I w- well I wasn't really drunk then, but then we watched Frozen 2. <laughs> great drinking game to that that we created. Had a blast, got really drunk. We plan to do that again this weekend. <laughs> Except Hercules is I think on the agenda for tonight. Oh wow. Yeah. I love Hercules. Get some Hercules. Boy, I can't remember the last time I saw the the Disney Hercules. Of course, I was a big fan of Hercules: The Legendary Journeys featuring Kevin Sorbo, um, which would also <laughs> be phenomenal to drink to. Uh, but yeah, that would be a lot of fun to get drunk during. Uh, what else have you been watching, reading, doing? Um, well, I always I, I'm always listening to some sort of book on. Um, as some sort of audiobook. So I'm in the middle of um, Circe right now, uh, which is about Greek gods. So that's been fascinating, which then fits my Hercules. Very thing, relevant. So right on target there. Um, <laughs> and then we've watched, Griffin and I watched Tiger King together, which I think most of America has. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And Carol other. Baskin. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's uh, not a lot of other stuff. I don't know, Griffin, have you. Has there been anything else? That... Oh, I've been watching some movie, some Disney movies in French. Um, okay, for an unnamed <laughs> reason. Did you even did you even take French? Do you speak I did French not. at all? No, you're I just don't like, speak French at all. You're just doing it for the subtitles. Well, no, no, no. Because so okay, when I'm trying to brush up on my Spanish, I watch movies in Spanish because that's like one of it's it's one of the best ways to like learn is to watch like kids shows because how do you learn English usually? parents talking and you know watching children's shows so i have a character idea and i want them to have a french accent so what did i did i i'm watching disney movies in french oh that makes a lot of sense yeah thank you i'm on board with that we've been watching gargoyles oh yeah i forgot how much i like that tv series it's uh it's fucking phenomenal wow That, that that was a cultural milestone that passed me by but i was always interested I recommend it. You have Disney Plus. That's up on that bandwagon. It's some good mindless fun. Come on, you know I only bought Disney Plus to binge The Mandalorian over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys watched that yet? What are you doing? No, we haven't watched it yet. Oof. Been been really focused on Gargoyles, French Disney movies, and Disney movie drinking games. So, oh. you know. To what? be fair, we haven't even had it a week. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like you're getting your money's worth. Um, I guess we'll kick it over to Griffin for a second. Besides the Disney Plus and the crazy amounts of drinking, uh, have, have you been doing anything crazy since the last time we spoke about this? Uh, not crazy, but I've been getting a lot of uh, dice work done. I finished up your set. I finished up Emily's set. I finished up two sets for Haley almost. Um, and I'm going to work on Brooks's set this week um, and probably make another five sets this week. <laughs> um, be, I, I mean, we've just had a, a good chunk of time. I mean, the polishing part, you really need – it takes – two hours to get a set polished and so i can now i can just kind of watch gargoyles in the middle of the day and polish a set of dice perfect <laughs> feels Life like i have more time better. to get it done yeah <laughs> so i've been doing that uh i've been printing a decent amount of minis uh joined a couple of uh patreons that do like the stl files for 3d prints so i've always been a huge fan of artisans guild um 
they just released a set that's going to work really well for book four. So I, um, I've been printing some of those minis. Uh, there's a new, a new creator out there, a new sculptor called, um, I think it's like heroes awaken or something. And they did this whole pirate set that I'm excited to print. I just, uh, I just got got their stuff, and I was thinking of you because the captain of their pirate set is a like were lion. Oh wow! And he's got like the cutlass, and he's got the mane, and and like is in all pirate gear. Uh, I'll have to show you. I'll have to show you after this. It's uh, it's pretty legit, dude. You uh, gotta share me a screenshot. That would be amazing. I love it. Yeah, but um, so I've been printing some stuff there. I'm just. I'm I'm living on borrowed time here, man. I'm just waiting for <laughs> for to run out of resin, both for uh, for dice making and for printing, and then I'm gonna actually have to paint all the hundreds of minis I've printed. Jeez. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, hopefully it lasts till the end of quarantine. Um, as for myself, I got a couple recommendations for the folks at home on the uh, on the Junji Ito theme. I finished Tomi. It was really, really good and really creepy. It's a big, long, um, you know, six or hundred seven pager, um, six or seven hundred pager. Jeez, can't talk right. Um, about like a succubus. Really creepy and done in a, a different, interesting way. Um, definitely check that one out, guys. Um, I recently watched a movie called The Platform on Netflix. Um, it is like this very, very creepy. It's not quite horror. It's like a very gory, disgusting drama. Oh, the cannibalism thriller. one you were talking about? Yeah, the cannibalism one. Okay. Um, yeah. It's a it's a story of, and I'm not going to ruin anything, but you know. Haley watched it in another language. It's a Spanish film, um, but I'm not playing a I Spanish approve. character anytime soon. Don't get excited, folks. Uh, <laughs> it's about a prison that's laid out vertically. Every cell is on top of each other, and there's a hole that goes from the top to the bottom. And the way they feed the prisoners is they start uh, a little lift at the top of the hole, and it's filled up with like the most delicious banquet. And it drops to the first level where two prisoners get to eat as much as they want. And then it drops to the second level where they get to eat as much as they want. And it keeps dropping lower and lower. But, you know, people at the top are greedy and um, eat too much and screw with the food. And by the time it gets to the bottom, there's nothing left. And, you know, the bottom at the bottom, people are eating each other and going crazy and eating pages out of books and stuff. Um it is it's pages out of it. how does that even told, come up <laughs> i i listen it, it'll make a lot of sense if you watch it oh um, yeah the but, eating books will make sense okay yes i mean matumbe would have a heart attack but you know um so i would heavily suggest that guys it's really good really creepy um definitely hard warning on the cannibalism though <laughs> not cool with that <laughs> cannibalism <Go> warning <laughs> ncc <laughs> Yeah, uh, go ahead and give that one a skip. Uh, I was also going to talk about Tiger King, but we kind of covered it uh, earlier. I the mean, only did reason we do I it justice, that, though? <laughs> oh, no, we didn't. Um, <laughs> but but the reason I do bring it up is because uh, it, it, it reminded me of some housekeeping that we got to keep. Uh, we got to take care of kind of towards the top. So last week, or rather last episode, Griffin and I got on here and talked about our release schedule, and the Tiger King will be relevant very soon. We got on here, talked about the release schedule, 
kept letting everybody know Haley shaking her head. She knows where this is going. Uh, we are going to keep on the release schedule with Zone of Truth, doing those remotely. The regular episodes, we still have a couple banked that'll get us a couple more weeks out. Once that um, exhausts itself, we're going to be looking into doing more uh, safe remote recording so that we can uh, continue the show and, and keep the momentum there because I think we're at a very interesting point and don't want to take our foot off the gas here. However, the end of April is supposed to be a release of the next installment of the evil interlude at this time there's too much heat from carol baskin and the big cat gang and and my boy saw's gotta lay low we gotta postpone it for a little while at least until the tiger king stuff boils over (laughs) at least until the tiger king stuff blows over um you know on on the show we are proponents of pay to pet saw's a big pay to pet guy and um, god damn it god what the fuck dude <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to deliver bad news in a fun way um it's unfortunate you know we're recording remotely um we're gonna do what we can to keep the regular show going and the zone of truth however um if one thing's gotta give that's the thing that's gotta give unfortunately because we know that there's gaps in between the episodes anyway but when it comes back, we'll let you guys know. It's going to come back in a big way. Actually, I can't promise that because Griffin makes up the story. <laughs> I hope it comes back in a big way. Sure. <laughs> no, it will. Um, even if it takes more than two episodes, when when this come when the next part of the Evil Interlude comes out, you guys will get through Dunrock Prison. I'll just say that. Woo. So. Um, if that means if that means we do another mini Halloween type thing, that's what it means. But uh, because we're skipping an episode this time, I definitely want to get us um, all the way through that story arc. So, so I guess this is coming back in a big way. Um, and like I said. After this uh, recording, I'm going to go out and back and start burning hard drives to get Carol Baskin office. Um, but in the meantime, however, April also had a different bonus episode, or rather two bonus episodes that we dropped. And it's the reason we have Haley on the show today. I want to talk about Pavlos and Pales, a completely new, different spinoff prequel, call it what you will. April Fool's Spectacular. Haley, I just want to jump into it with the first question that we got from our listeners when I asked four questions about the Pablos and Pals episodes. This one comes from Tilda. How did this idea come to be? Why Pablos and Pals? <laughs> that's a great question. Because this was your idea. It was. It, it, that's I'm a sorry? great question. This was kind of a combined effort between Griffin and I. So basically... Uh, I told Griffin on our car ride home from Christmas, I believe, or was it Thanksgiving, Griff? I don't remember. Either way, very long time ago, near the holidays, on our drive home, I said, look, I want to do some sort of crazy April Fool's spinoff where I'm the GM. And then Griffin was generally being kind of a goofball because I I was driving and he was trying to keep me entertained and stuff. And he started talking in his Pavlos voice and then was like, what about Pavlos and his acolytes? Um, 
and so then I was I jumped on that obviously uh, because why the hell not? And I said, okay, but Pablo and pals, that's what that's what we just did. We did Pablo and pals, um, and that's kind mm-hmm. of where it began. And then as April Fools continued to get closer and closer, I sent out kind of a mass text to everyone um, and said, all right, we're going to do Pablos and Pals. Anyone interested, uh, here are the rules. And I basically just said, you have to worship for asthma or have strong ties. And uh, it's level five. And then uh, Tim said, what's Pablos? (laughs) (laughs) Like, dude, you listen to the episodes. <laughs> it's the Frasman cleric. And he's like, well, I'm game. So that was uh that was the funniest text to get back from him though, was the just what's Pavlos? <laughs> so yeah, but then uh some other rules were kind of put into place in general, but like that was how it was birthed. <laughs> I love it. I think the first I ever heard of Pavlos and Pales was on our uh post pregame car ride the to the uh 2019 motion picture cats. that sounds right that sounds way right <laughs> yeah that is right yeah because i think we brought it back up that we did- were like oh if we're gonna do an april fool's thing we should really think about it and we could do our pablo some pals yeah and, and of course i mean i heard the alliteration in the name and i was then i signed <laughs> you up son of a bitch i'm in <laughs> did didn't know what it was, when it took place, nothing. Where, I, how, I didn't why, I don't know. <laughs> D- didn't need to know because it sounded great. Um, but that brings me to my next question. So I want to talk a little bit about the when and the where of Pavlos and Pales. So you made the choice to make this take place 15 years before the regular show. Why set it then? And then we visit a couple locations in that show, most notably our our besieged little town um, that I can't remember the name of right now. Why did you pick that? To center the so basically, I was doing a lot of research. So the way that I prepped for this in general is I was reading On Dead and Unleashed and On Dead Revisited, and then I was like, "Man, I'm very interested in the Bodak, which we'll talk about later." And I was like, "Okay, so I'm interested in that, and this is kind of the vibe I want to do. I want to do a horde, and then a town that's kind of under attack, and they have to figure out why, and you know, eradicate that problem." Well. As I was looking through that, I was like, man, I need to pick a town that's in Uslov so that Pablos has a tie, but it can't be part of the normal story. And man, when should this be? Because Pablos is currently like a level, I don't know, what, Griffin? He's level 12. Yeah, yeah. currently level 12. I don't want that. I want level 5s. Level 5 is a fun fun level to be at. So um, as I was talking to Griffin, he was like, well, what about, you know, like the furrows are really cool. So then as he was telling me about the furrows and generally the war... Um, I was doing a lot of Googling and that's kind of when I was like, you know what? That sounds like a really accurate time period as well for the level five versus level 12 character. And, um, a very cool area because as I'm looking at the furrows, there's this little town right next to it. And I was like, Oh, look at that. That's a victim. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's actually, it works very well that the, War Without Rival ended 15 years before Carrying Crown starts. And so that it it wasn't like an arbitrary 15 year mark. It was like, okay, 
War Without Rival, basically the Ustalavan Civil War version of a world war, like trench warfare and stuff, happened in the furrows, created the furrows 15 years ago. I didn't realize the Pavlos and Pale story took place that soon after the it war. It might have been like rivals. a year or so in the future, right? Two, two years after the war ended, I believe. is It was either two or three years. Two years. It was like okay. very close to when the war ended, but it wasn't so fresh um, that it was like, you know, six months or something. Yeah, because that's, <laughs> uh, that's Pavlos and it's um, the Dom's backstory Dom. is yeah. that they were in the war without rivals. So this kind of all developed very quickly. <laughs> hold up. What military rank did the Dom hold? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Dom was like a sergeant, a gunnery sergeant or something. Asked him. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll Pablo served under the point. Dom because he was like the field medic. So mm-hmm. the Dom was in control. I, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so Haley, you've also you've talked about the books and reference materials that you use to kind of put this together. So just to clarify for the folks at home, if this wasn't abundantly clear, this is one hundred percent. Oh home. yeah, it's it a- is. But yep. I did plant the seed of the furrows for Haley on mm. purpose because <laughs> this shit all ties into the main story and it ties into book three. So the furrows ties into book three. What I what. Neither Griffin or I really knew when we were looking at this, and I saw the little town stern die next to the furrows and was like, what a great victim. Uh, what we didn't know until after I started looking t- into it, and I was like, hey, Griffin, Silas Gradon is going to write you a letter as, pa- like, write Pavlos a letter. He was like, wait, what? Did you, what did you read? And then uh, was like, uh, you know those characters in book two? So, so he actually gets mentioned by Duristan in the the episode you would have just listened to mm-hmm. yeah. and uh in the episode that comes out in a couple of days you're going to meet this character and it's cool that he's uh he's a tie-in to Pablos and pals but you're gonna get to know him a little bit better yeah so that was on accident but <laughs> it's a good one well it was on accident until we realized it and then griffin was like yeah this is 100 percent because the connection to book three is too much that yeah, that, I mean, the, how how could you have better timing than that? It drops, plants the seed in your mind, and then you hear it, and then it happens, right? Um, I also want to hear a little bit more about your just overall prep for the session. So, um, walk me through your planning this out process. Were you always married to the idea that this was going to be two episodes, each with a combat, um, with a little role play, or you were playing it a little bit more by ear? Were you shooting for a certain amount of time? Just run me through that if you can. The game plan was for about four hours of content. Um, that was kind of my goal was four hours or less of content because, I wanted to be able to get a really solid amount of information. Um, in fact, I, I wish uh, the second episode would have actually gone a little bit longer so I could kind of close it up a little bit better. But we were on some like real life co- time constraints, which I've mentioned a little bit on the Discord a couple times. But um, with that in mind, I was kind of that's kind of what I was going for because I feel like within four hours you have an, a chance to know the characters more than just a my name is this, my name is this, as well as you get a chance to do at least one or two fights. 
Yep. Standard society scenario yeah. length. Yep. And I think we we got damn close to the four hours, right? The first one was just over two. Second one, maybe closer to an hour and a half. Don't quote me on those numbers, but I think that might be about right. Yeah, I think we're about a half hour short, which uh, I, I thought about adding in some um, content about like what kind of the stuff I'm talking about now. But Steve was like, hey, what about Zone of Truth? So yeah. here I am. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe we'll be able to explore it more in depth than uh, Pavlos and Pale's uh, Tianja Drift. The Frast and the Furious. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Haley, were you always planning on it being a uh, four-character party for both books? <laughs> for both parts? Because yeah. it basically was. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, I did think it was kind of funny because as we were talking about and, like, uh, doing the prep work in general for, like, this, uh, I knew that I would have... Uh, five characters that was kind of the original start right is that we're gonna have five characters and then um tim was like i want to play a siege mage which what the fuck is that we'll let tim answer that um but or griffin will probably read some stuff and tell you we are getting there anyways yeah i and i was like man what is that and so then when I, i looked that up so briefly briefly enough that i was like you know what i wanted to do a horde anyways didn't know how they were gonna survive Guess what? I'm doing a horde. We're dealing with this because I, if you bring Siege Mage to this party, I'm not going to not uh, do something. So, so, so Haley, I, I love that you bring that up because later down in our agenda, we have another question from Tilda asking, how did you prep for a 19 monster encounter? Did the guys know it was going to be a horde battle? So I actually didn't know this before you explained it just a second ago. This is a chicken before the egg situation, right? Where Tim built that siege mage like idea and then we started fleshing out the characters and you were like you know what i'm gonna throw a horde at these dumbasses yeah 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 so that happened i always knew what i wanted the big Uh bad to be from the beginning and in general with the way that this the big bad works um it's good to have little uh lesser undead kind of around um that's generally like a good way to throw people off uh the scent of like this particular big bad um, so I was like, oh, you know what? I'll just look up a couple of different undead and I'll throw those at them uh, around the town. And then Tim said Siege Mage and I was like, well, fuck it. You're doing a, doing horde. a horde. Good luck getting into the town. <laughs> so that dealing with 19 uh, is a lot. Um, so the prep work for that was I went into the Hero Lab for a desktop and I started building an encounter. I totally ignored any sort of CR it gave me because I didn't care. <laughs> that is professional GM advice. <laughs> so, uh, CR, throw it out the window. Fuck it. Just just like as an example, right? So I don't... Right now in uh, Hero Lab, I, pu- I pulled it up and I pulled up all the different types and I just did one of each into the um, like little encounter builder and it's already given me a CR 7. When, um, in reality, I I'd had 19 of these things, so I, I believe like the CR was through the roof. Fucking handled, man. Yeah, yeah. And I knew it'd be okay because they're all little, they're little things, right? So I had um, five regular zombies, which they're staggered, so it's fine, and they're dumb. Um, three fast zombies. I had three yellow musk zombies. One yellow musk creeper that was attached to those three. Uh, I had some ghoul hounds, I had a wolf, I had an akata, and then I also had a couple juju zombie brutes. 
Okay. That's that's what I threw at you guys. A, a lot of not wild stuff in there. Um, I mean, we're, we're all fairly-ish familiar with undead creatures being in Carrion Crown and just playing the types of games that we play, right? Um, but the, the, the one in the middle there, I'm very interested in the, the fungal, creepy, disgusting, moldy um, like thing that was attached to other zombies. Can you kind of explain that a little bit? Because it didn't get to really play around with Tim's bl- blist of nonsense. And, you know, the funny thing about it is uh, the reason I added it is because it's not technically undead, but it's still kind of a zombie. And therefore, I added it to fuck with you guys because I knew you guys would pick everything that is perfect against only undead. Like, I knew that there would be some hide from undeads. I wanted something that would mess with you. <laughs> so, yellow musk zombies, which are attached to a yellow musk creeper, are hp 12 ac 12 <laughs> they're very weak boys uh they are plants technically um they are also staggered <laughs> they have some damage reduction but i mean they're very weak boys um and then you have your yellow musk creeper so the yellow musk creeper is actually the creator of a yellow musk zombie so it can create a yellow musk zombie by a full like a full round action. A yellow musk creeper can um, put dozens of tendrils into the brain of helpless creatures within reach, and then um, it can in that in like when it when it puts those tendrils in there, it could re- basically rewire your brain and turn you into yellow musk zombie. It takes about an hour. Um, and it only inflicts 1d4 points of intelligence damage per round. So that would have been painful, but like it has to do its pollen spray, which is only a DC 14 to beat. Like this is really, really dangerous for very weak party. Yeah. But real it, realistically, you guys are strong enough to deal with this. And I knew that, but I also knew you guys would all freak out about it, which you got, I got exactly what I wanted. I think until this you- would have been a very bad encounter without... Uh, huge channels, though. Oh, yeah. And I knew that. And that's a thing. As I knew going into this, you guys are going to have channels because I have a cleric of Phrasma. I have other people who are worshipping Phrasma because that was part of my rec- like requirements of this character. So going into this, I was like, ah, I know this. I know realistically it doesn't matter that this ho- this horde is technically a CR 19. I don't care. It doesn't matter at all for what we're doing because... I have so many, like, specifically built to deal with this. Yeah. And then someone throws out a web and completely breaks everything. Oh, God. I couldn't believe- That was the best web ever. Probably I, the, the, mm-hmm. one of the best area of effect spells I've ever seen played out in front of me. Those things almost never work. <laughs> that was such good <laughs> battlefield control. <laughs> and if I'll be honest, I did. that was something I did not expect at all, um, mostly because I didn't expect anyone to plan for battlefield control. Um, knowing you guys, I just didn't see anyone being a battlefield control person. Yeah, I mean, Pablo's would have if, if the web didn't go off, I, you know... I built a herald caller cleric, so I would have been just summoning shit every round to combat 19. Right, but and that's what I But then it would have turned into you versus me, like, the combat. So I'm glad it didn't. <laughs> I'm glad web happened. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess on that note, um, um, unless there's anything else crazy in that 
smorgasbord of nonsense zombies that you want to bring up, Haley, uh, before we move on here. I do kind of want to touch on the cast of characters a little bit. I just want to say our most like the most powerful thing you guys faced as far as like health and AC and just generally damage was the two juju zombie brutes. Yeah. They're they're 30 HP and their AC is 20. They have channel resistance. They've got cleave. They've got combat reflexes with four attacks of opportunity. They have damage reduction, uh, two different types. They have energy resistance. Like they were your most difficult thing to realistically fight um, because they have three levels of fighter. In addition, they're totally immune to like magic missile. So if you couldn't do anything else to it and like try to throw something easy at it, that wouldn't have worked. For reference, those. Uh the two alchemical zombies that you guys made friends with in Vorkzeg and Grinds that testified for you guys uh, were both juju zombies with like an alchemical zombie template. So they had all that same shit and they were had several levels. Oh, of interesting. So, so they're like juju zombies are really cool. Um, look into juju Oracle. If you want to actually mess around with them, you can make like a, fucking T-Rex juju zombie that has all of those resistances and shit and it's just a monster but um, the coolest thing about a juju zombie is that they can retain their class levels they retain their intelligence so you saw that in in like those alchemical zombies and, and I don't know if these guys had class levels or if they were just kind of like a juju zombie template no monster. they were there was three class levels of fighter yeah so I mean you can you could be a juju zombie that's like a wizard you retain your intelligence. They're they're just a super cool uh, type of zombie. That it, it basically, if you're a necromancer, you have to make opposed charisma checks just to get them to be on your side and do what you want to do. Well, that's scary. Don't like the sound of that. Um, Griff, how about you tell me a little bit more about how you built young Pavlos? Yeah, Pavlos... So I had I had this <laughs> this concept coming from I think somebody on our Discord and I can't specifically remember who recommended a feat that's specific to clerics of Phrasma and it's called Fateful Channel. And the Fateful Channel is that your faith not only heals the body, it tugs the strands of fate. Prereq here was I had to have 3d6 um, in my channel, so had to be level five, and I also had to worship Phrasma. Perfect for Pavlos. <laughs> when you channel positive energy to heal living creatures, you grant each creature you heal the ability to roll twice and take the better result on a single attack roll, skill check, or saving throw of their choice within a number of rounds equal to your charisma bonus. Multiple uses of this ability don't stack, but they do reset the effect's duration. And the creature can only benefit from one instance of this channel effect at a time. But like that was came up big in the boat. The boat concept. Yeah, that was my concept going in. Was like this feat's awesome. How do I maximize it? And then I thought, okay, well, shitty thing about being a neutral aligned cleric that wants to channel. You don't get sacred summons, which makes your channels swift action. 
or not swift action, standard action instead of full round action. But what I could do is go into the Herald Caller archetype, which gives you a bunch of benefits to channel as well as channel as a spontaneous casting. So you can either switch any of your spells for a cure spell or a channel or a um, summon spell. And so um, I'm just summoning for days here, hoping that I can burst that channel and give everybody that advantage on an attack roll, which really helps with a large group of summoned creatures because generally it's pretty hard for them to hit because... You know, when I'm when I'm doing a summon monster two and summoning a bunch of summon monster ones, them against a creature with a AC of twenty, I mean you're gonna roll like an eighteen or higher. Yeah, at that to point hit. it's just a numbers game. If you can roll twice for all of those attacks, at some point you're gonna roll that eighteen on the die, that nineteen, that critical twenty. Like it's gonna happen. Yeah, so Pablo's got an extra summon anytime you summon more than one creature. Um and I built him to be tanky. So I built him as a battle-focused cleric. I mean, he... The man had 16 strength, which, you know, he, he was going into melee. He was he was basically built to be a reach cleric who stood behind his summoned creatures or his allies. But he had 23 AC, and then I think... The shield got put on him and his AC went bonkers. Uh, so he was, I think he was built pretty well. I built him relatively optimized, but when I knew Tim was going to come in with a siege mage, I thought maybe I should at least build a support character <laughs> that can do a bunch of other shit. Well, yeah, he was uh, pretty versatile. Absolutely. Anyway, um, I also brought a character into this fold here, and this is a new character for the show. Um, one of my favorite characters that I've played in a while, a uh, little bit of a goof, and I really enjoyed it. So I played uh, Mr. Serpent, the Unchained Monk. He is an archetype called the Serpent Fire Adept. Um, unfortunately, I did not really... Uh, have the opportunity to use some of his like awful awful chakra stuff in combat um which i would have loved to do but uh honestly i got kind of drunk and forgot to do it um and it was a new character and i was all nervous and all that kind of stuff but essentially i just want to say yep Steve, real quick, it's very funny because I basically sent a text out to the group and I was like, hey guys, remember this is a one-time thing and it's April Fool's, so you know, have fun with it. And next thing I know, Steve's like, I'm going to play a whack archetype. <laughs> I was like, alright! <laughs> yep, yep. And I realized I was going to have to live with my decisions as Pablo's for longer than that. So I was like, better not make him fucking whack. <laughs> well, I, yeah, exactly. April Fool's episode. Let's have a little bit of fun with it. So um, what could pair better with a monk than uh, sacrificing a bunch of decent abilities for stuff that keys off charisma, which uh, every monk drops? So... <laughs> So uh, that's why I picked this uh, chakra-based monk, which, again, um, should have 
played a little bit more with that, but you know, is what it is. Um, this was a character that I was very excited for. Um, I've never played a monk before. The way I decided to come up with a character this time was um, usually, you don't, you don't, let me back up for a second. When I'm playing in our HLP game or our Return of the Rune Lords game, I see where the campaign's going and I have an opportunity uh, to over a very long time develop a good backup character that I'm ready to go with that fits in really well to the story. This was kind of quick. And so I was like, okay, first I need to fill a role. Then once I've got the role filled mechanically, I'll work backwards and figure out kind of what who I want this character to be, how I want him to behave, and all of that fun stuff. So, um, you know, Tim said he was going to be the siege mage. Uh, I know, or at least I knew that uh, Chris wanted to play some sort of caster. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make a frontliner. I'm going to make a monk. I've never played one before in my life. Um, thinking way, way, way back in one of these earlier Zone of Truths, I remember that Griffin said he wanted to see me play a monk at some point. That's not why I picked it, but I was just like, oh, that'll be fun. I'll give it a shot. Um, and so I created Mr. Serpent. And Mr. Serpent was never intended to be this character's name. Um, like I said, I started with the class and then built everything behind that. And as I was building this character, I needed a fill-in name on Hero Lab to save the profile. <laughs> and I had picked the race already. He's this kind of snaky Naga creature. And I was like, okay, Mr. Serpent. And over the week that I built this character, I just kept coming back to Mr. Serpent. And I was like, I want to make this like lovable, a little bit clueless guy. And that name fits really well. Um, and I also built him in an interesting way, or rather, um, I built him in a way that very much mechanically makes sense, but a lot of his traits and stuff and backstory don't quite align um, until you do a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Like I have a trait that has him born in Tianja, but I wanted him to be from the Sodden lands and I wanted to tie in a bunch of Abandango stuff. And I actually have in front of me my, sh my little cheat sheet for this character. And so I kind of, cobbled together a framework of who this character was with arrows kind of pointed in every which direction to tie the whole thing together so it makes sense and i was like okay this is my character this is his backstory it's like half a page long it's convoluted it's crazy and then when i was done i was like i'm going to edit this down so it makes a lot more sense and then i just decided you know what this character you know, plays a little goofy. He's a goofy archetype. It's April Fools. Like, I know it's a hat on a hat, but like, fuck it. This is, let's just have some fun with it. I left it all in. And, uh, <laughs> left it all in. <laughs> yep. So a ton of it didn't come through because, you know, we only had a finite amount of time to explore who these characters were. But who knows? Maybe you'll see more of Mr. Serpent in the future. And I hope you do because I really enjoy playing this character. I can't wait to play him again. All of your characters were very interesting. And I remember, like, I asked specifically, it was a, you know, world of square rules, 20 point by, level five, wealth by level, must worship for asthma. Those were, like, the technical specifications. But then I asked you guys for um, something else to try to understand the way that you would play your character. Um, and this is something, like, to me, I feel as though 
your what your character's actual strengths and weaknesses are, and then what others perceive the strengths and weaknesses, um, or like how your character maybe perceives the strengths and weaknesses. I like ask for that because I feel as though no understanding the character's strengths and weaknesses or what they think are their strengths and weaknesses shows a lot about the way that like they're going to be played. I mm-hmm. got some very interesting responses and. I was 100% ready for Chris's character based on his responses. So I'll tell you that was very helpful in my prep to know, (laughs) like, to be ready for that um, coming out of, you know, kind of asking for those kind of specifics. Yeah, I I think it worked really well. Uh, At some point, I would love, love, love to have Tim, Chris, and Brooks on here to talk a little bit more about those characters. I mean, I don't want to speak out of turn for any of those guys because they put in just as much heart and just as much uh, time and dedication into making really fun, wacky, crazy characters, uh, just as much as Griffin or I did. Um, But... We did have a very specific question from our buddy Alex on the Discord. Please explain what the fuck a siege mage is. So I'm going to pass this over to Griffin, but not before I preface this with, I want to get Tim on this show and I want him to ha- to get a little bit buzzed and go on a rant about the siege mage. I think yes. he will. He'll do yes. it far more justice than I possibly can because I'm really just going to give the general gist of what a siege mage is. But before I get into that, I do want to say, like, I think this is one of the very few times I've gotten to actually, like, play side by side with Tim. And that was a fucking blast. Oh, Tim's a fucking joy. I feel like, no I matter feel where like, you play him. Uh, he and I, just because we were, like, the characters with probably the most backstory together, we're just kind of, like, gelling. And I was really enjoying that. Yeah. I, you know, uh, it's the, usually the back, like the most most backstory together, not the most backstory. I'm about to stop the eye of Ivan Dango from turning. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah not the most down. backstory. <laughs> Pablo <laughs> has the most future story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, so we look at uh, Siege Mage. Uh, yes. First thing you get, Siege Engineer. At first level, the Siege Mage gains Siege Engineer as a bonus feat, even though he does not meet the prerequisites of this feat. It replaces Scribe Scroll, a nearly universally good thing that wizards have. (laughs) Yep. That's how you get more spells. Let's see what Siege Engineer is. Prereqs. Just so you know, you can get this feat on any character at level 5. Because all you fucking need is five ranks of knowledge engineering or profession siege engineer and uh, proficiency with one siege engine. The benefit is you're considered to be proficient with all siege weapons. Also, when you are crew lead for a siege engine, you do not generate mishaps on a roll of a natural one. Great. So we're getting back into like gunslinger misfire shit with uh, siege weapons. Didn't even know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. Then the siege mage gets the siege engine bond, which is, I think Tim talked about instead of uh, an item or a familiar, a siege mage decides that their arcane bond is a fucking siege weapon, be it a catapult or a cannon or a ballista. In this case, 
Um, the benefit you get there is that you can fire it as long as you're within 30 feet of it and you're within line of sight of it, which is cool, I guess. You're still probably standing back 150 feet with your siege weapon. Uh, but at 10th level, you can reload, aim, and fire the siege engine purely by the power of this link, and it no longer needs a crew to control the siege engine. Unfortunately, we were level 5, and so Tim had <laughs> yeah. to anthropomorphize his horse what as well as use Romir, Chris's character, in order to <laughs> use a whole round of their actions in order to reload the ballista. Uh, I, I mean, it's for for as goofy as that is. I mean, hats off to Tim for figuring out a way to make that viable. For well, hats like off a to Chris, really, for for and letting Chris that happen, too, taking the hit, for, for taking the hit, and being like, "I'm going to be a mesmerist that at least has shit it can do with a swift action." <laughs> yep, yep. So. Um, you also get Empower Siege Engine. As a swift action, the Siege Mage can sacrifice one of his spells to empower the next attack he makes, which I think Tim did a couple of times uh, before the end of his turn with the Siege Engine he is bonded with. When he does so, the Siege Engine attack gains a bonus on its attack roll or targeting roll equal to the level of the spell he sacrificed, and the bonus to damage equals to equal to three times the level of the spell. But what does this replace? All of your cantrips! <laughs> Every cantrip you would normally get, except for detect well, magic well, and read hold magic. On. Hold on, Griffin. You can use detect magic or read magic at first, as level, first spells. level spells. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> so bonkers. <laughs> That's just like it, it's like you forgot how to be a wizard. Like you're you're a worse wizard than a sorcerer is. You, you forgot all your cantrips, man. And the last thing they get, Griffin, what is that? Uh, <laughs> instead of picking a school of magic, you pick the siege school. <laughs> what that gets you is siege engine bullshit. Because it requires some strange rituals to empower a weapon that does, I don't know, maybe double what a bow does. Maybe a little more. But it takes so much more magic to empower that kind of weapon that you have to forget the fuck about three other schools of magic. That's You have right. three opposition schools, and that, my friend, is why Tim could not cast many spells that wizards are known for. Fortunately, yep. Webb was so not one of his I opposition school spells. So I also want to bring up, um, I'm a pretty big fan of this one resource online called RPGbot.net. Basically, it's this dude that made this giant, um, you know, feasibility structure that. for a whole different, like a bunch, oh, bunch of systems. Oh, is that color-coded system? And you can kind of... Does he do the color-coded system? Like the... He, I'm, <laughs> I'm just about to talk about color-coding <laughs> because, so he goes into pathfinder and this is a good way for for folks just to kind of look at some of their abilities or archetypes or classes um and see if you know maybe they make sense or not he's got a color code system that griff mentioned blue is fantastic often essential to the function of the character green is good orange is okay uh, but somewhat situational and red is he calls bad useless or options that are extremely situational um, i am on the page 
right now. The Siege Mage is a red archetype. And the powers Siege Engineer, yellow. Siege Engine Boost, somehow yellow and red. Empower Siege Engine, red. Siege School, red. This is a universally panned class <laughs> archetype. Yeah, it's... Um... I mean, I, I imagine if, if he had an entry on Uzmorph Shifter, it'd be a lot of the same. Probably. I think I think when Tim mm-hmm. gets to play, he likes to play these uh, unoptimized character, very unoptimized characters and try and make them work, um, which is fun. I mean, it's, it's fun to play around a character like that. Listen to the episode. You have the whole table cheering every time uh, that fucking Ballista hit. I think the first episode ended with Ballista. Exactly. <laughs> Ballista. It did, yeah. The whole table going. It's like it doesn't matter that uh, Mr. Serpent took out like eight enemies or that Pablo's <laughs> probably did cumulatively 100 damage with his channels. Doesn't it's like matter. The fucking Ballista doesn't shots matter. knocking down that fungus with 30 health or whatever. Like, <laughs> highlight of the entire combat. And, and you know what? That's what people remember. I think that's why he does it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never understand that, man. Uh, but let's let's move it on, guys, because we do have a fair amount of stuff left to go. Uh, I want to dive a little bit into this Bodak encounter. Uh, so the PFSRD entry for Bodak says, The flesh of this emaciated creature appears charred or dried, and its empty eye sockets seep trails of smoke. It is a very creepy creature, and I would love if Haley were to tell us, you know, why she picked this, kind of what it's doing there, and uh, how she played it. Yeah, so in general, right, a a Bodak is um, created when humans are exposed to profound evil, like absolutely over-the-top evil or supernatural evil. Um, And when that happens, they're 100% stripped of their souls. And uh, usually they're found wandering some sort of evil aligned plane, plane, and sometimes they will pass to other realms. But if there is an especially evil act that happens, you can have a bow deck that's created. Or if you're like, I don't know, some really high level, I think it's something... You got to be a 20th level level necromancer in order to create a bow deck with... uh, with create undead yeah no it's like they're I that say, it's absurdly up. high uh so with that in mind right um the one weird thing about them is they kind of have these fragmented memories and are generally driven by emptiness longing and vengeance uh they have a great hate for like life in general so a lot of bodaks try to create more about bodaks though because of this trailing fragmented memory so this is where it gets creepy right so a lot of bodaks if they are do have the opportunity a lot of them will return to places that usually bring joy and comfort in their lives before everything happened so those kind of fragmented memories lead them to destroy their loved ones and acquaintances on accident so that is where this kind of came into place. So as I chose Bodak, and Bodak is like, it's a really easy one to kind of throw your players for the loop because a lot of times a zombie manifestation or a lower undead might start uh, popping up all over the place because Bodak is accidentally creating them, partially formed Bodaks, etc. Something like that. And then in reality, it's actually a Bodak that's running around the town. So that was kind of what was going on here. And this Bodak in particular came back because it was one of the townsfolk who was involved in the war. 
they became a Bodak, have fragmented memories coming back to where they know and love. Um, and so that is why they came back. And now they are accidentally kind of creating this trail of dead bodies, missing persons, and generally um, creating more of themselves. So the way that they attack is through these really unholy visions that can actually um, kill you, do negative uh, levels, or create another Bodak from those kind of horrible processes. But this process is horrible, and it's like 24 hours of torture. So you guys heard Brooks's character heard the screaming and stuff of people partially starting to transform. Um, so that's kind of what that was. And... Um, if we were to have dug into it a lot more, um, you would have found a pattern, which is all of those people were actually like, uh, not not only like does the Bodax, Bodax are attracted to life, right? So the first stand, which I made up on the spot and really threw you guys for a loop. Sorry about that. Um, anyways. <laughs> it feels like you could have left out the fruit stand and got to some of this backstory, I guess. No. I, um, well, because. Necessary I, fruit stand. I needed a central location where everyone was going, and I didn't want it to be the bar because I felt as though that was not going to be very family friendly. But I wanted a lot because I wanted a lot of the victims to not just be like, oh, it's this sailor and this, you know, farmer, and it's all of these like very generic people. I wanted it to be family and friends that are going. So I picked like a central location, popular fruit stand. Um, the best fruit stand. The best fruit stand. Say. It is. Everybody was saying it. Uh, but yeah, so it was a great fruit stand. And I kind of uh, said that because that's where a lot of people congregated. So it's a it's a very joyful part of the city. And if Bodaks are attracted to what usually brought them joy, that would be an area that w- they would want to go back to and then accidentally kill everyone. I think what was most interesting to me, like looking into what a Bodak is after you had run it for us is that unlike a zombie that feeds on the flesh, uh, a Bodak uses its stare to feed. Yes. And so like, very creepy. So they don't, they don't like feed on you in the traditional sense. They look at you with those. I mean, you described it in the episode, like those smoky eyes, um, and that's what turns you into a Bodak, but they also get like some sick, like satisfaction, and it's almost like a comfort. They're emotional vampires. Yeah, through the eyes. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, Griff, that's a that's a great point. So I was reading a little bit about this this monster, and probably the the most interesting thing that I saw was that um, a lot of. Uh, on the outer planes of existence in the Pathfinder world, um, there's these powerful demons that use Bodaks kind of as like shock troopers or just like general minions. Um, and these, these Bodaks, the only relief they get from their pain and their torment and the horrors that they've seen is when they convert another um, humanoid or something or mortal actually. But, you're on the outer planes. Mortals basically cannot live on the outer planes. So, um, one one of the the little tidbits I saw that really interested me was that when a Bodak sent on a mission or is doing something for one of their demon lords, if they encounter a mortal, all bets are off. Like yeah. it is time to eat. It is time to con- it, Like that is one way to break their. Uh, whatever they're doing because they 
that's the only way they're they get relief from this like physical torment. In fact, that's actually how quite a few Bodaks have died is going on some sort of mission and being so focused on the idea of feeding that um, they can't survive in sunlight like at all. Like they are literally uh, emotional mm-hmm. vampires with the sunlight weakness, but um, they like feed on, uh, and that's how some of them have actually died as mid feed because it takes so long for this process. And if they're outside, all bets are off if they've been starved for so long and that's it. Like, yeah. You, you actually like mention how the, the demons have them as shock troopers they get them to remain loyal by providing them with their only source of food. So Mm -hmm, that's, mm -hmm. it's like, it's a weird cyclical thing where it's like these, these strange, horrific undead are often turned into Bodax because they saw some evil, crazy shit from a demon because supernatural, unless it's something like a, World War level situation, like uh, the Bodak that we fought was created from. Uh, usually, the evil has to come from like a, an extra planar being, and so they create the Bodak, and then the Bodak is in this other plane, starving to death, and they're like, "Well, work for me. I'll provide you with mortals to turn into other Bodaks." Yeah, and the actual transformation, you know, process into a Bodak is incredibly physically painful, painful in addition to spiritually painful. So, like, basically, as people are turning into a Bodak, all of the images of horror are, are replayed again and again and again, as well as there's wrecked with pain, they have seizures, their eyelids clamp shut in a almost unbreakable bond. Um, the only way to really open those eyelids again is either to cut them apart or pry them apart. Um, and oh, God, that image is horrible. <laughs> I know, I know. Absolutely awful. And any of them who have witnessed the transformation and lived to tell the tale say that the victim's eyes seem to migrate about the face, growing and shrinking in size as if they're trying to escape from the person's head. Shortly thereafter, the rest of the body undergoes the change as well, and the limbs elongate, hair falls off, skin dries out, and yeah. And then you get an emancipated, emancipate, emaciated, emaciated. Thank you. Horrible with that. Um, Androgynous fa- frame. So it's a really horrible process. <laughs> but that's like their eyelids only open when they turn into that smoke. Yes. That we saw. Mm-hmm. Eyes are gone. <laughs> yeah. There's a. Um, I, I'm, I'm searching the page right now. I can't find it. So I'm just going to paraphrase what I, what I read earlier, but a Bodak isn't completely unintelligent. It's got an intelligence of six. So it's relatively dumb, but not unintelligent. Um, one of, one of the things I read is that, you know, oftentimes this limited intelligence drives them to seek out people that they knew before they were turned into a Bodak. Um, their loved ones, wives, husbands, children, that, etc. They convert them to get that little release and there's a little Bodak zombie apocalypse <laughs> happening. But there's a little fun tidbit. I, uh, oh, fun's a tidbit <laughs> for it. But a little tidbit here um, where often what they'll do is um, if, they're, if they are forced to become a Bodak, it doesn't sound like that was the situation here with this particular one. But if somebody tortured another person for a significant amount of time or caused enough pain that they ended up becoming a Bodak, that person obviously left quite a mark on the eventual Bodak. That Bodak 
with its limited intelligence would go find that person because that person is important to them now because they tortured them so much. They don't know why they're important. They just know. And they turn them into a Bodak with their gaze. And then the two of them are kind of like a, um, a Neil Breen twisted pair together. They become a couple because they like one was the torturer and one was tortured and then comes back and says, Nope, uh, I'm going to torture you back. Basically. It's crazy. Yep. So yeah, it's a really cool enemy. <laughs> and this was the basis. Like this is this is the one thing that kind of started my entire prep was I found this, I loved the concept, and that is the basis of my prep was Bodak. Do you want to talk a little bit about um their actual stat block? Sure. Also, so- this is my favorite monster if you if you haven't caught on yet. Although <laughs> Steve said it at the top. Okay. I did at the beginning. Okay, so uh to go through it really quickly, it's um generally it's immune to all electricity. It's got on dead traits, right? That's normal. It's got resistance to acid and fire. It's vulnerable to sunlight and it's got DR10 cold iron, so those are all good. Um and then it's just, you know, got basic like slams. <laughs> it's got dodge, improved initiative, mobility, toughness and weapon focus, but you know, all those are kind of boring. It can speak, it can speak uh, common or whatever its native tongue was, so common most of the time. Um, but it does, um, have this death gaze and this is like the coolest thing about it realistically, um, is it has one, uh, the death gaze would give one D four negative levels, um, in it's 30 feet distance, uh, a fortitude of 18 negates, um, any humanoid that is slain by this death gaze, uh, will rise as a Bodak in 24 hours later. So it's a death attack. It's very cool. Um, and that kind of gaze, it's a nice, like, it's nice because it can get a ton of people at once, <laughs> unless you have a mesmerist. <laughs> mesmerist. <laughs> I'm very bitter about that. I yeah. really did not expect that. I expected to knock you all down a few levels, and then we're on good terms. <laughs> ah, ta ta, that lock gaze. It really fucked with me. <laughs> I'm just going to be loading a trip or a ballista the whole time. I don't really need, uh, <laughs> I could take these negative levels and still make that happen. I was so mad. That, that like, made me very mad, actually. <laughs> if you couldn't hear in the episode. <laughs> Wait, you were upset that, uh, this portly gnome was laying on the ground staring at your creature yeah and that completely broke the encounter (laughs) yes i was so mad but yeah it broke my encounter it was it was good though because uh i kind of like when characters come up with something that's unexpected because uh that's something i would do um and if i if we had more time in real life i probably would have thrown some other crazy shit at you guys um I had some stuff kind of in the background. I don't have I don't have that anymore, so I can't talk to it. But I had like some other kind of more higher level undead type things that were going to come out of the woodworks if uh, I had more time. Hmm. Understandable, absolutely. Well, I I really enjoyed uh, kind of just beating the shit out of this guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, super 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 cool undead. But um, we. I think we handled it fairly well. For those of you at home who are interested about, um, you know, where the concept of a Bodak comes from, I did a little bit of homework and um, 
I got some tenuous leads because um, this isn't one of our like more prevalent in in mythology things <laughs> no. like like a griffin or a gremlin that we've covered before on this segment. So I could trace this monster back to D and D three point five. It might be in an earlier edition, but I'm not positive when i dug a little deeper it looked like it closely shared a name with a creature from gaelic mythology the bodash i might be pronouncing that correctly i might not it's b-o-d-a-c-h close enough where i think that might be right some uh in that is basically some sort of trickster or boogeyman. So I was like, I don't really know if that lines up. I read further in the Bodak uh, PFSRD stuff, and under campaign role, it says that Bodaks work well as boogeymen. Boom. Got it. Yeah, that's... So, like, that's actually, yes, they work great as boogeymen because the Bodak in in Scottish lore um, only comes right before death or whenever great disaster was impending. So it was a always a like boogeyman type creature, but it would always it always like preceded some sort of great disaster, so great evil mm-hmm. or approaching death. Deathster. Well, yeah, absolutely. I I was having a little trouble at first, but that one word, that boogeyman really tied it all together and <laughs> uh and 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 proved that this is a creature from real folklore. And uh, I, I really appreciated it. I think it's a lot, even in Pathfinder, I think it's creepier than the real life folklore counterpart um, because it's horrifying. Yeah, because it's not a trickster. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's legitimately horrifying. Um, but when I, I reached out to our little community on Discord to ask questions to Haley about, uh, you know, some Pablo Simpale specific stuff, we did get a couple uh, questions about the Bodak. So the first one that we got was from Bisexual Randotart. Was the Bodak yellow? Uh, the clothes were yellow, yes. The clothes were yellow. <laughs> and for the people at, at home who do not get that reference, Haley, what does that mean? Okay, so Cardi B has released a very, very popular song that is called Bodak Yellow. Uh, that is where the reference is from. We can't play that, but... Uh, Who knew Cardi B played Pathfinder? Or right? Or D&D 3.5? <laughs> I did not know. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i dubious to as to whether that's actually true. But Who knew she was a Gaelic scholar and knew about the boogeyman? <laughs> I think that's probably closer to the truth. Um, if I were to rate this on the one fish, two fish, fish, red fish, blue fish scale, I would give this a one fish. That uh, that song sucks. Um, <laughs> They're still going by that fish scale. Yeah. Oh boy! I uh, I listened to it in preparation for this episode. It's bad. Nobody's uh, recovered a month later. <laughs> nope. I'm still having problems. <laughs> uh, our next question comes from Commodore. Once you saw Sonny's horrifying transformation, uh, remember that is the name of the uh, anthropomorphized horse um, from the Dom. Were you tempted to change the Bodak to having been sunny all along, thus leading to an end fight with Bodak Horseman? I was incredibly tempted to, if if I thought about making it so that you guys arrive at the bar and stay there until dark and then Sunny's outside and the Bodak sneaks up and stares at Sunny to start to create a Bodak. But obviously that would take too long. 
But I thought about it because he's horrific. What the <laughs> fuck, Tim? <laughs> if only we had more time because that is horrifying. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's run through the rest of our listener questions. Um, the next one we have comes from Barely Claire. This is not related to the Pavlos and Pals adventure, but it's just for Haley in general. Haley, which one of the crooked kin does Eclipse want to keep most as a ghostly pal after their ultimate demise? The leader. The, like, leader of the crooked kin. Oh, what's his name, Haley? That'd be great if I, if I knew that. I know that, uh, d- yeah, no. Don't know the name, sorry. Captain... I know, I know you did. Captain Spaulding was like the... Captain Caleb. There you go. Thank you. I was like, I know that was like your whole thing, but I didn't remember the name. My bad. But the captain. Um, because I'm hoping at this point I need, uh, I need a conflict here. I need someone to take control because I've got Lopper who is really, really right there, man. Uh, just trying to get some control. I think I need an overall uh, leader in my group um, to kind of help because I think right now I just have a control freak. Hmm. The ringleader. I get that. Griffin, did you have any thought to this? Would you, would you give eclipse a crooked kin pal? I think they're going to live longer than eclipse. So <laughs> not really worried about that. That's a mean answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, no, you're probably never going to talk to them again. All right, so uh, Bodak Apocalypse happens in Lepidstat while they're while they're there. They all die. Which one would you want to pair with Eclipse? Which one would I want to continue talking as? You know, it's going to be Seymour Wiener, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's an easy. I one. I mean, your head Eclipse. Uh, Seymour Wiener's good. I'm very partial to Prince R, but. I've had a lot of uh, connection to Prince R. I think he's just an interesting guy who's got stories. So, Sajira would be interesting in your head, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Sajira? Oh, Sajira? Yeah, that would be great. Should be cool. All right. Our next uh, question also, again, comes from Bisexual Rando Tart. We're going to go around the table here. If you had to choose another non-viable archetype to play for a one-off, what would it be? Um, gee, let's start with Griffin on this one. Non-viable archetypes, some really fun shit. Uh, I actually, this is funny because Haley's played it before. Um, a white-haired witch is ah. uh really cool, really interesting, really fucking trash archetype, <laughs> <laughs> and um. It's just because you're using your intelligence for your attack rolls with your hair, but you're still a half BAB class. And could you make it good? No, <laughs> but you could. You could maybe make it work. You could probably make it work. Uh, just because you're still a full caster. So, 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 <laughs> so, so boy, I'm sorry. For, boy, for, is for, it ass compared to every other witch archetype? For for the people at home who are unfamiliar with this archetype, it's like a. From what I'm understanding, it's a it's a witch caster build, but who also does like melee attacks with their hair. Yeah, you can like melee attack with your prehensile hair, essentially, and you can oh, grapple with your hair and do this other stuff with your hair. It's just 
it falls into the trap of any caster that the archetype, like any full caster that the archetype makes them a melee combatant without changing their base attack bonus. It's like any arcane caster, not going to work as a uh, as a melee combatant. It's just not going to be good. Yeah, I played a, um, a bearded lady who was a white-haired witch and my beard attacked. And it was not good, but it was fun. Yeah, exactly. I think I think it's just a very fun, flavorful archetype, even though it's not very. Was good. this from uh, Carnival of Tears? It was. Yeah, from Carnival of Tears. that's right. Wow, that's wonderful. Uh, how about you, Haley? You got a, a whack ass archetype that you want to play? I want to play a gun scavenger gunslinger. Okay. So. <laughs> I want to do that uh, for a couple of reasons. I haven't played a gunslinger before, and like, why not just go absolute wild with it, right? Uh, but a gun scavenger collects scraps and spear parts um, to create I like their it so weapon. Far. Uh, and so the Danny DeVito of gunslingers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then uh, they put it together, and anyone else would treat the weapon as broken. Uh, but also, uh, like, it's it's just not great. So like all of your weapons are, um, all your weapons are you kind of piece them piecemeal them together. But the biggest change that happens is your your deeds. Um, so instead of the very very great fantastic deed of quick clear, you don't get that. Um, so then instead you get uh. As a full round action, you can remove broken condition from a single firearm that you're wielding. Which is, that's fine, great. Uh, but when you do that, you can replace the broken part with some sort of short-lived component that does one of the following. So it can either make it scatter and increase uh, or increase the damage dealt by the pistol whip deed uh, or increase the firearm's range. So, like, that sounds cool, but you're adding some sort of modification which increases its misfire chance by one each time it fires until it misfires again. <laughs> So like you're just building a constantly like re-breaking gun. Uh, so like this would be great if you were a goblin. This is very like Starfinder Goblins-y. It's a hundred percent that, but in a Pathfinder world. I love that. That's great. I think it would be so fun, but it would be very problematic because you always have to have your modifications with you at all times. You have to be able to make them and you have to know what they do. <laughs> And your quick clear is like a full round action, which yes. fucking sucks. Yes. And uh, if that's like, I'm going to play this with loaded dice. <laughs> it's the only way that archetype works. Oh, yeah. It's it's absolutely horrible. Um, and then like later at seventh level, you get jury rig, which means you can um, adjust the firearm that you're willing to fire in an unconventional way. So you can spend a grit point and it can either become magic weapon, which is cool, um, and it can then get either distance, flaming, glamoured, thundering, and if you spend two grit points, you can do flaming burst or stalking. None of these abilities stack, and it replaces targeting um, deed. So, again, it's like one of those things where... It's fun, but it's not optimal at all. And then you also get arbitrary aim, basically, which is... um, your attacks with firearms are difficult to predict. <laughs> uh, 
Is that where they leave that? It's just no. difficult to predict. Uh, so then when you shoot a firearm at a creature that has dodge or insight bonus to its armor class, the they actually treat that bonus as if it's one lower because no one can predict it. It replaces nib- nimble. So you're not nimble, but boy, does no one know what you're doing. I guess. And I love that. When you're already attacking against touch, <laughs> do you need that? No. <laughs> this is insane. Jesus Christ. Uh so, so truth be told, I'm not sure if this is good or bad. I think it might be closer to good, but I just can't figure out a way that this would make sense in almost any campaign in Pathfinder. So that's kind of I, why I want to talk about it. And then I'm going to follow this up with an honorable mention. Um, I have been itching for forever to play a racial archetype of the ranger called a bow nomad. It is a racial archetype of the Kasatha. Good. Guy. Yeah, I mean it's it's actually dope. But, but like, h- how do you? Yeah, how does this logically get Kasatha? into any story outside of Iron Gods? I guess maybe. Um, so Kasatha are a four armed being, um, and they're aliens from another world, which actually end up being a core race in Starfinder, which is super cool. But the thing about the Bow Nomad is essentially because they have four arms, they can dual wield bows. And just like launch off sh- psychotic amounts of arrows, akimbo. Yeah, which is super cool. Um, I I want to do it at some point. I just can't, for the life of me, figure out a way that I can make this like dual wielding bow Kasatha make sense in any story I'd ever play. Play a human with uh, strong teeth and the racial lineage or whatever, so you can take the archetype. Dear God. And just like <laughs> fucking use both your arms to draw the bows, and the bows are attached to like your. I don't All know. Right. Well, <laughs> well, listen, I shirt. promised an honorable mention here, and I gotta bring it up. Um, with God as my witness, I'm going to play this one day. Because I've done a little bit of homework, and I think it might be the worst archetype of all time. I'm talking about another ranger archetype, the ranger warden, which trades favorite enemies, animal companions, and five feats for being able to take a a, a negative 10 bonus to survival, but only in your favorite terrain. (laughs) That's bad. That's, that's pretty bad. <laughs> that's like the uh, imp- <laughs> impoverished monk or whatever it is for uh, <laughs> levels of bad. Yeah. I mean, I'm on the a Reddit post about it right now. Um, and somebody just says, I feel like this has to be a typo. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll play it at one point. Actually, I was it was it was shortlist to play in Pavlos and Pales because it was so bad. But oh god! But I didn't do it. I didn't do it. All right. Well, you guys have heard some whack ass archetypes. Let's finish this out here. This uh, this last question is a little bit of an older one, and I've been saving it for when we've had just Haley on the show. This comes from Twisted Enigma. Haley, having known Griffin for a while, what is the strangest, gross noise he has ever made with his mouth? All right, so occasionally Griffin gets really plastered. Occasionally, right? we know this. <laughs> Allegedly, uh, allegedly. So sometimes he also does not shave any of his facial hair. 
Okay. Fair. So, Listeners, this you you can during- you can turn this episode off now if you want to. No, this is great. Actually, this is horrifying. So either way, one time I felt I was I was asleep in bed. Griffin comes upstairs, fully clothed, jeans on, and like snacks in hand into the bed. Carlton is chewing on food with like the slobbery, like drunk <laughs> mouth of a of a person who needs snacks now. And whispers in my ear, as Horace, do you want some chowder? (laughs) I have never, never been able to live from that. I can't recover. Uh. So, anyways, that's that's a pretty horrifying experience to wake up to that. And only for him, as I'm saying this is so gross, he's like, well, obviously I have to do this more. Because that's what that's what Griffin does. If I tell him that noise is horrifying, he's like, "Great, I'm gonna do this whenever." I, can. I promise. I threw this question on the agenda, uh, not knowing what you were gonna come up with, and that's worse than I could have imagined. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just one of those things where I didn't expect it either. There's been some horrifying moments as well while he's been dressed up as. Usador, like, out on a Halloween, like, bar crawl and stuff, too. Because, you know, then he's, like, he's drinking beer with the wizard beard. And he's just like, hey, uh, do we need another beer and stuff? And he's just, like, talking and slobbery. And it's all about the drunk facial hair, I think, for me. (laughs) I don't like that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, actually, uh, Griffin in that costume (laughs) with the beard on was the one and only time. This is... This is a, you know what, I could basically, you know, shot for shot this entire night and it would make a great like 20 minute segment. Um, But we went out once for Halloween. Griffin was dressed up in this costume and that is the only time I've ever seen a man take a tequila shot (laughs) through a straw. Oh, that was really painful. He didn't want to get the beard wet. So this Wells tequila, he's drinking out of a cocktail straw, one of the real skinny ones. (laughs) Oh, I was dying. So that's like a 25 second long tequila shot. It was horrible. Really prolonged the pain there. And it smelled like tequila in the beard all night. It still, yeah, somehow it still got into the beard. I tried. I tried. <laughs> Probably because later, I, I'm sure I took one without the straw. She's like, fuck it. <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> I don't care if I get it in the beard. So, yeah, I guess I hope you guys enjoyed that horrifying moment of mine. Um... <laughs> hey, uh, just hit me up. I'll DM you some even grosser noises. <laughs> a lot of he like now that the podcast has been on there's so much there's so much unnecessary Horace yeah (laughs) that's all I have to say about that (laughs) well would there be a better way to wrap this up for tonight I think not (laughs) no Haley, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for sharing all of the insights behind Pablos and Pales. Thanks for putting it on in the first place. It was a blast and answering all these whack-ass listener questions. I'm glad that all, however many people of this show that listen every week um, now know just how awful sounding Griffin can be. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> they knew. They already knew. Come on. They knew. So is there any, at this point, is there anything you want to say to all the listeners before we sign off? Uh, thank you so much. And I'm so glad that you guys enjoyed uh, Pavlos and Pals. It was a lot. I was very nervous. And so I was very pleased with the kind of responses that I got. I'm hoping that I can do more stuff and uh, do more things in the future. So thank you guys. It was awesome to hear your support. I hope everyone is staying healthy and safe. Hell yeah, absolutely. And Griffin, anything before we sign off? No, just stay safe, guys. Um, you know, hop on the Discord. We're doing these movie watches pretty much every week. Um, just trying to stay entertained during this time. So uh, hit us up. We're happy to chat. Oh, yeah. And thank you to all the essential workers. I, I, I forgot to say that, and I should have. No, absolutely. You know, I think all five of us really appreciate um, the folks who, you know, have to go into work every single day, have to leave their home uh, because their work's deemed essential. You guys are fucking killing it out there. Please stay safe. Please stay healthy because um, you guys are fucking saints. And on that note, I guess that about wraps it up. So, Griffin, um, I think it's time for me to tell Haley, you succeeded your will save. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And on that note, is there anything you want to say to the listeners at home? Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.